Hello, and welcome to In the Harbor Podcast with Stedman, Joel, and Jacob. Welcome back. What's up, guys? Hey, today we have an important guest today. Um, We have... Dr. John Wynn, he is an associate professor at CCU, associate professor of theology. (laughs) Uh, He got his bachelor at Northwestern University in St. Paul, Minnesota, Um, his master's at Southern, and he also got his doctorate in missions and systematic theology at Southern Seminary as well. So welcome, Dr. Wynn. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. Glad to have you. Yeah. So just some background. uh, I've had Dr. Wynn every semester um, of my college career. I'm sorry. <laughs> and then instead, don't you have him this year? I, I have Dr. Wynn for intro to theology this semester. So yeah. So it's a fun class. We have a good time. We do have a good time. Um, so I, I think we're going to kind of start this off by asking um, if you would like to kind of share about just like a quick overview, like four to five minutes of your kind of testimony and kind of how you kind of ended up at CCU and today. So take it away. Yeah, I'll try to be concise. Uh, I mean, I grew up in a, a Christian home. Uh, my dad was a Lutheran pastor, and uh, I'm the uh, my twin sister and I have a twin sister who's four minutes younger than me, and we are the fifth and sixth of six children. So I and we got great um, older brother and older sisters, and, and really a, a, I think a, a wonderful uh, home environment, and was part of church life. No surprise, because my dad was the pastor. But all that being said, all the uh, thankfulness I have for my upbringing and my family, I would say it wasn't until I went away to college that I really, for the first time, began to ask the big questions of, well, what do I believe? This, this Christian faith that I was raised in and that uh, I knew a fair bit about, uh, did I believe it? And part of it was because I, went to, I didn't go to Northwestern uh, for my first year. I went to University of Minnesota, big state school with and I was going to say, it was crazy stuff. Gophers, going, the yeah, gophers. Yeah, the gophers. That's right. The golden gophers. What a fierce animal that is. <laughs> anyway, uh, it's not, I can't imagine what it would be like 40 years later. But still, uh, it was an environment where there was a lot of options, a lot of them not good. And I'd be in, as part of that whole scenario, I began to really... Uh, well, honestly, the thing I really began to do at that point is I actually began to read the Bible, which I'm always sort of shocked in reflection that I... I didn't really read it before then. Of course, I knew it in many ways because I already preached. I went to, as a Lutheran, I was confirmed in my faith. I went to Sunday school. So I had a, a, a strong and a, probably a pretty good familiarity with Scripture, but I literally had never read it personally. I mean, I had my own Bible. I had a Bible with my name embossed on the cover, but I guess there hadn't been much of an encouragement one way or the other of personal study. And it's when I began to seek God through reading Scripture even there in my dorm room at the University of Minnesota, that things really began to change in my life. And so I, uh, after two quarters, I own a quarter system way back in the, in the dark ages, after two quarters, I decided to drop out of the University of Minnesota uh, and plan to go to the school where my twin sister was and where my older brother, or my brother Andy, had gone. He's already a graduate at that point, and that's uh, Northwestern. And uh, so... And it really, I would say, when did I? I would say, when did I become a Christian? It was during that third quarter of my college year, when I wasn't a college student anymore, and a lot of my high school friends back in our 
a fairly small Minnesota town were still in their respective colleges or even back at the University of Minnesota. And I had dropped out and I was working a couple jobs, so reading the Bible. I would say it was while I was reading the book of Job, of all things, that I now look back and think I had a very distinct conversion experience. And in the context, I had been always a very, I'd always done well at the things I'd done. And I was, you know, probably kind of a proud jerk at that point. Ask my, ask my siblings. Yeah, he was a jerk. And uh, I would say that in reading the book of Job, one of the big things that the spirit did in me that needed to happen was I was humbled before God and really came to a point of brokenness and repentance. And my, and not only do I, I mean, there was an experience there, but I would say there really began to be distinct changes in my life from that point on that I, looking back, I would say, I think that's when I was born again. Uh, then I did d go to, to Northwestern and really at Northwestern, you know, everyone had a Bible major. And then also I was a communications major. So I was kind of like, you're having to do to some degree at CCU, taking a lot of Bible class, a lot of great professors, and really began to grow my faith. Now, I also had my struggles, which I won't go into at this moment, but um, really grew, really grew. I changed my major many times. And in the end, I was engaged to Rachel, my future wife. She's a couple years younger than me. And I was about to graduate in the in in the spring of 1996 and Rachel was going to be in school still I need some sort of job went to a Christian career fair at Bethel actually you mentioned Bethel before we started the broadcast just down the road from Northwestern and ended up uh, through that getting into some youth ministry training and then became a youth pastor in a, a Lutheran church for four years I'll just condense it here because I don't want to go on too long but after four years at that church, we had been asking over the course of time, Rachel was a graduate by then, she was doing some professional, she was a vocalist, a professional music singing, teaching voice lessons. We both had had interest of going on for more study. And then in a very unexpected twist in the year 2000, we were led uh, to for me to finish at that church and to go down to Louisville, Kentucky for both of us to study our master's degrees. At that point, I thought likely I, my path was uh, to go on and try to be a, a, a college professor. But uh, a year in, after, again, I won't go into more detail unless you want to hear about it later, we, the Lord really led us in a new unexpected direction. We began to feel the both of us simultaneously led to pursue cross-cultural um, missions. And uh, through a process, we're eventually uh, led to uh, go overseas to China. We went overseas to China in 2003, and we're there for eight years. Again, I was so much thought that that was the path long-term for us, that uh, that previous path of uh, academics was such that I couldn't take that many books with me to China. I gave away most of my books before we went to China, which later on I was like, oh, I guess that was a good thing to do, but I wish I still had those books, but <laughs> I've got them mostly back now. I've repurchased them. But uh, then unexpectedly again, the Lord began to draw me back to get another degree and at the time, there was a number of things going on, but certainly one of the key elements was the need for theological education in China. I mean, he's been a lot of time working with house church pastors, and we were doing evangelism and, and some church planting, but we had a lot of limitations of, we look, if people know what I look like, I don't look Chinese. I stood out a lot taller than most Chinese. So there were security issues because the government is not necessarily in favor, and they're even more nowadays, unfortunately. 
And, uh, and the language is difficult, but what they, so what they really told me again and again, we just need more pastoral theological leadership training. So that was one of the things that, that led us and the Lord led us to come back to the States, back to Southern, back to Louisville, and for me to pursue a PhD. I thought the most likely result of that was going back overseas, maybe to China, maybe somewhere else and continue to do theological education overseas. But again, the Lord's mysterious ways, those doors did not open. Some of them shut, and and then at the very last minute, we, we joked. I was doing some exterior house painting there as I was approaching graduation. I was finishing my dissertation, getting ready to defend it. I was going to be walking with my degree in May of of uh, two thousand and fifteen. I guess it would be fifteen. Yeah, fifteen. And Rachel would joke, "Oh, you, know, you got your PhD in painting." PhD in house painting because, you know, who knew what was going to happen? I don't know. I was going to take care of my family, but I didn't know what kind of opportunities the Lord had. And then through a series of circumstances, an opportunity opened up at CCU. And very quickly, um, I was able to fly out here from Louisville and, and get interviewed and was hired that day. And we moved out here a couple weeks later. <laughs> well, not a couple weeks later. Uh, it was in late in April. I was graduating in the middle of May. And then a couple weeks later, at the beginning of June, we, we were driving out here, been out here since, almost eight full years. There we go. So there, we got it up to today. Yes, that, well, yeah, and I've been for eight years, exactly. Yeah, there you go. Um, so I just kind of wanted to uh, see if you, um, Jacob and Stead, if you guys had any questions um, for Dr. Wynn, kind of about his life or anything else that you guys wanted to tone into. Yeah, um, I had a question about uh, China. China, so, China. While you were <laughs> while you were in China, what was the most uh, striking thing to you there? Maybe culturally, or how, what? And what was your favorite thing there? Yeah, most striking favorite thing. Well, when we first got there, I would say. What is unmistakably striking is how different it is in, in, in terms of the culture, the way things operate. Now, in a bigger city like we lived in, there's a, you know, there's a fair bit of westernization such that it's not so foreign. But in so many ways, you're struck when you first move into another culture, particularly you know, Chinese cultures, is very different than Western mm-hmm. cultures. And so I would say, with, this is going to be my answer to the question, what first struck me was how different everything was. And if you've heard the term culture shock, mm-hmm. something that tends to happen to people after they've been there a little while, after more than a few months, right? You can have sort of the honeymoon tourist thing. where like, oh, everything's wonderful. Oh, it's different and I love it. But then you settle into normal life and you realize the five-year-old can communicate better than you. You realize simple things that you could do without thinking in America, like mailing something, suddenly take half a day and... You're just struck by difference and you're struck by your own, frankly, inadequacies. Mm-hmm. So that's what really struck us early on. I'll flip that around, though. The longer we were there, the opposite struck me. And that is with all the culture, a language that sounds strange and so different, not definitely has no European root to it. All those differences that are so striking at first, the longer we we're there, the more I saw the similarities. Yeah. And Mel put it simply this way. People are people. It gets filtered through culture, but humans are humans. And you realize, you now there's common humanity. We all are sinners. We all need Jesus. Uh, we all have mothers and fathers or had them. We have 
you know, you get the point. There's common human. So what struck me more by the end is common humanity. Mm-hmm. Struck me at the beginning was this is so different, so foreign. And by the end, I was very comfortable there in some ways. Uh, there was still things that was just different, but uh, I was struck by the common humanity. What did I like the most? I think without a doubt, it was the people and the relationships we had. Uh, there are a lot of things about China I don't miss. Pollution, the commies. commies. Uh, <laughs> For real. Um, <laughs> the food's great, but the most of all the people, the relationships that my brothers and sisters in Christ. I've oftentimes <clears throat> said that in China, especially where there is so much surface difference, difference of culture and language, that one of the most profound experiences is to realize how close you can be to another person as a brother or sister in Christ. And yet perhaps your own relative, your own sibling, you're not even nearly as close, particularly if they're not a Christian. And so that always, that struck me as well. The, so there's a common humanity I said struck me as the longer we're there, but also the, the unity we have in Christ with other believers, even in a very different culture is an amazing, mm. an amazing thing. And that's what I miss the most. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. That's a, that's a good answer. Now, one did one I pass other, the test? Yeah, you did. Good, yeah, that's good, good. good. That's good. <laughs> Turn, um. Turnabout is fair play. I test you in class. You test me now. <laughs> uh, um, so I'm guessing the food is not like Panda Express. No, right? it's not. It's not like that. There's some similarities, but, but it is distinctly different. Yeah, okay. better though. In a <laughs> better way. in my mind. Really, I think American Chinese is too. But Panda Express is like American Chinese food. That's <laughs> no, not is. real Chinese. No, it's not. Yeah, no, but it's, it's not. good. It is. We go there often. We go, if we're gonna go out to dinner, we're you going go there. To okay, there you or go. Canes, but Panda is really good. <laughs> Yes, but it is definitely American Chinese. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I had a question about the church in China. Yes. What was your experience with that? Were there like major differences or was it like, like you said, you know, you recognized the, you know, common humanity. Yeah. Like what was your experience with that? Yeah. You know, one of the maybe benefits of a mission setting or a setting where Christians are much in the minority is that even though there are are still differences of theology and practice among believers there. And even among those who are there and more of a missionary mindset, Westerners, for instance, they again might come from different traditions and have some different theological perspectives, but that kind of a setting where you're in a small minority tends to help people emphasize the common, common things. So there certainly is diversity in China. Uh, we lived in a big city, the church in rural China, which largely comes out of the, what should we call them, revivals or movement of the spirit after Mao Zedong died in the 70s, is a less educated church, a more charismatic church. I don't mean just like, I mean, literally more Pentecostal or charismatic in some of their practice and teaching. Okay. Uh, and they have, a, it's, it's, it's more of a rural style. We interacted more with, with the more urban, educated church, which really began to take off, take off after Tiananmen Square in 1989, when a lot of the young people who were getting educated and, and all the ideology of, of communism became disillusioned with how the government you know, crushed the students who were protesting mm-hmm. in Tiananmen Square. So there was a real growth of the church among more educated people in the 1990s and into the 2000s when we were there. And those were more of the people we worked with. But we also did have a chance to work with some more rural house church folks. Sometimes we would 
gets smuggled out into the countryside, you know, hiding in the backseat of a car. And uh, particularly we, we began to do a lot of uh, marriage and parenting training. So we, we worked with both. But I would say the people we were working with most closely and most regularly, either existing churches or obviously we did a lot of student ministry. Our team did a lot of student ministry. When we brought in visitors from afar, they would do student ministry. And so obviously those are more educated folks. And it's so competitive in China to get into schools, particularly higher rank schools, that a lot of those students, the very fact that they were at some of those schools meant that they already were in a higher percentage of the students in China. So again, much more of an educated perspective on the church. And so that's one thing I can say about the church in China. Um, I can say more, but I'll let you follow up if you want to. <laughs> no, that's that's super interesting. Um, I've always kind of wondered, kind of what the, um, I don't know what what the livelihood of the church is like in other countries. You know, right. we, we kind of live, especially at CCU, we kind of live in this um, very, I wouldn't say like extremely Christian environment, right. but like fairly. You know, it, right. um, we're kind of surrounded by Christians. We have oh, chapels yeah. every week. We have you know theology classes and that kind yeah. of stuff. Um, and like going out into other countries, you know, where there's kind of less of that and more based in just the community coming together totally. as the body of Christ, like what that kind of looks like in different areas. So, yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question. It's one of the reasons why I encourage all believers to do some overseas travel or even if possible, even when you're young and single and <laughs> footloose and fancy free like you guys are. To do, <laughs> to do uh, a more extended time overseas. I think there's different there's different Christian organizations that will do gap years or you know a, you know different different kind of programs like the organization we were had some of those kind of programs because there's a kind of learning that goes on in another culture, particularly beyond just a few weeks, that is really educational and impactful. And again, including what is Christianity like in this culture? Is it there? What's it like there? really helps you rethink, not necessarily rejecting anything you knew before, but you look at it with new eyes and maybe have a new appreciation or have a little distance from your own experience, your own culture. So I think it's really uh, educationally beneficial. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Um, I kind of want to ask you, I know that you have said, quote unquote, you're on the naughty list. Which <laughs> with the commies. Um, I so, true. So, um, and hopefully that's okay to talk about. Oh, sure. But I was, I was wondering, like, how that... Though, if you're listening, commies, you can't get me. That's <laughs> actually true. Yeah. Hey, who knows? They might, you know, whatever. Send an but, assassin. They like, do those things. <laughs> what I'm asking is, Hunt like... you down. Yeah. I, I know you weren't on, like, banned from the country, but you are now. Right. And, like, kind of how, how that, how it was dangerous while you were doing ministry, and then how, like kind of how that happened and like why why you are necessarily kind of like that so yeah great question let me first set the set the context a little bit because in hindsight the eight years that we were in china from 2003 to 2011 in hindsight they might be some of the most religiously free years in the history of china to be perfectly honest Uh, because that was the posture of the the leaders at that time they just Who was the leader at that time? Uh, let's see. What was his name? Uh, Hu Jintao. Okay. And, you know, China was able to get into the World Trade Organization early in the 2000s. And it was part of their whole opening up and trying to take advantage of becoming the factory to the world for the West and getting rich. And, and so they were very amenable. There's a saying in Chinese, 
and you can't see it in the podcast, but one hand's over my eye. One eye open, one eye closed. It's a very ancient Chinese idea that says, I know what you're doing, but I'll pretend like I don't, as long as you don't make me mm. have to do something about it's it. It's kind of like maybe early Christians in the Roman yeah, Empire. Yeah, maybe, maybe so. It's, it's probably a fair analogy. Yeah. yeah. As long as you don't upset the apple cart too much, you know, we'll just leave you alone, do what you want. And uh, because of the opening up and wanting the money and the investment, the, the 2000s, when we were primarily there, was a very open and free time comparatively. Again, you know, back in the 80s, not so much, starting to open up. 90s more so, but particularly after the World Trade Organization that was in the 2000s, very open. And so I, I was careful. I, you know, I cultivated relationships with a lot of the Chinese Communist Party members that I had to interact with and the different... Uh, uh, like the Foreign Chamber of Commerce or the Exit Entry Police, all these all these officials I had to work with. I would go out of my way to build a good relationship with them, or as we say in Chinese, good guanxi, because it's more of a who you know than rule of law culture. It's all about guanxi. And so I cultivated, you know, I wasn't being cynical, it's just the way it works there. And so I cultivated good relationships with them. I'd always go to their meetings. They wanted the foreigners to come to the foreign business. Because I did... After a couple of years of being a student, I did open a, a business, a consulting firm. And so I was able to develop those good relationships, and it was the certain era in China, and there was a lot of freedom. As long as you didn't challenge the, the government publicly and were just careful of what you did, and I had good relationships, they might say, if somebody complained about me or something I was doing, you know, the word might come back, oh, my Chinese name was Wen Zhang. And I say, oh, Wen Zhang, he's, he's, he's doing this. And say, oh, we, he's good. Don't worry. I mean, it was that kind of a scenario. Mm. We left in 2011, which happened to be right when Xi Jinping was taking over, the, uh, the new dictator who just got uh, affirmed for an unprecedented third term, <laughs> and which basically means dictator for life. So it's a whole new thing in China. And he has been tightening the screws on Christians ever since then, kicked out most Western missionaries who were there in any sort of, you know, missionary capacity like we would have gotten kicked out which is even interesting in terms of we did have like i said some intent to possibly go back to china and do theological education well it went to blast along we've gotten kicked out and so it's just a in the so the, the chinese church is definitely um very much in a new era of persecution uh right now though i've gotten some reports from some people who are not there but they're connected and hearing and there's surprise surprise some of the increased persecution has led to some new purification of the church and there is some some new vitality because even I saw with the, the wealth that China was developing it was affecting the church as well, particularly in the cities where, you know, maybe some people were losing focus and I'm not saying it's inherently a good thing that they're being persecuted, but it may, maybe the, the Lord is doing some more purifying among the Chinese church. I was setting up the context and I've forgotten what the initial particular you were, question was. Uh, like you're banning, you're getting banned. Oh, right. The banning. So I, we left in 2011. I wasn't banned. It was still a good time. Then Xi Jinping came in and started to kick people out. You know, a lot of people that got kicked out or were left, you know, shortly before they probably would have gotten kicked out. Now, Do you think that some people could have gotten like, arrested? Um, as far as like foreigners? That? Yeah. Well, it really depends. Because uh, I, I would like, like when I think of like a really dictator, like kind of government right I would think that like maybe there were people who like were detained or something like that if you go to North Korea no, and start de- like so. the gospel then you're going to be detained but yeah. I don't know like the context definitely so I'm getting more and more that way when I was there it was very much Paul and Acts mm. oh let's stretch them out and whip them oh do you know I'm a Roman citizen oh okay 
So when I was there, being an American citizen, particularly one who looks like a foreigner, meant that I had a lot of immunity. Really? Now, I knew Korean Americans who would get more roughly treated by the police huh. if they got brought in, which is kind of strange. They're still Americans, but because they look Asian, uh, they were treated that way. Now, I get to say, more and more, people were getting kicked out. Didn't matter what they look like. They meant they were Americans. And might be detained for a little bit. Um, and so that was beginning to happen more and more. I don't, I don't know how many Americans of much much of a... It was really took off in 2018. So in twenty the summer of 2018, I went back to China with a Sisu to the World team. And I won't say more about exactly everything we did there just for making any sort of connections. But we had a good time there for a couple of weeks and did a lot of... Connected with a lot of people and students. And that was just when things were beginning to happen. So it was no problem. And then, like I say, in 2018, it got, they started to really tighten the screws on Christians. And then the organization we used to work with, I won't go into all the details, but there was a security breach where a computer with all sorts of information on it was got a hold of by the police and they cracked the encryption. And many of us were completely exposed, fully our full identity and what we'd done. And so then since that, I've been, I've been encouraged that you, well, I wouldn't even be able to get in if I applied for a visa. They wouldn't, yeah, for they sure. wouldn't let me get in. So that's, that's my, my new status. Truth is, it's, there's, there's less of a reason right now for Americans to go to China, frankly. Even businesses are pulling out. We'll see how things develop. China has had this historical uh, oscillation, you could call it. Really, you can trace it throughout the last 2,000 years at least. There'll be times of openness to outsiders to China, and then it'll shut down. Openness, shut down. And we might be going, certainly there's been some shutting down. We'll see what it means longer term, if there's a longer term uh, closedness to to the West for sure, certainly to America. But that's that's the direction it's going now. So I'm on the naughty list, and <laughs> I don't think I would try to go back for any reason. It's kind of sad, but it's just the facts right now. Yeah. Now, when can they do, can they just look at your visa and and you're automatically in the system as you know, I'm in the system. So yeah, you know they're so big. On, you know, if you've heard, if you've heard of the Great Firewall of, Wall of China, the Great mm-hmm. Firewall of China. Mm-mm. Basically, I mean they don't they just control what goes in and out. Internet wise, right now, virtual private networks can get around that, but they're just cracking down more and more. And they have they there's no place that's using more facial recognition software. So you know there's closed circuit TV in a lot of places in Europe and like in England. Well, it's even more in China. Cameras everywhere, and they use big data facial recognition. I, I knew people a couple of years ago. They were living out in more Muslim areas in Western China. They. Um, they got kicked out because facial recognition picked them up repeatedly and said, you're spending too much time in the Muslim areas. It wasn't because of any particular thing. It was because of big data and facial recognition. They had determined, you're spending too much time around Muslims. You're out of here. So they're using technologies. It's very 1984. Right? It's, like, it's like 1984 wished it could be in terms yeah. of Big Brother. Oh, wow. I mean, surveillance scary. state. Oh, that's yeah, scary. So scary. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. Um, I kind of want to. Sh- Think. Let me say this. I did a. I did a. I did a. Um, we did a talk when it was still COVID time. It was a podcast uh, with uh, a Chinese American lady who was born in 
China and is now connected with CCU named Helen Rawley. And she's written a book I've got on the shelf here, right over there. Uh, and she goes in great deal to something called the, the social credit system. Have you heard of this? Uh-uh. uh-uh. I have heard of that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, what it is, is everybody has a social credit score. It's kind of like your credit, your credit score, but it's your social oh, okay. credit score where if you spend time with certain people or do certain, you go to, you go to a church, uh, that'll decrease your social credit score. You do something that the party likes, that'll increase your social credit score. And then, so that you're in the big, everybody's in the system. And then if you, if you get dinged on your social credit score, you might not be allowed to travel. You might not be allowed train tickets, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it's truly surveillance state. Mm-hmm. And by the way, that is an idea that some people in the West want to bring to the West. And even tr- they tried to use like a vaccine passport idea as a, as a entry point into that. Not to be all conspiracy theorists, but believe me, the, yeah, that's happening in China. But there's unfortunately totalitarian minded people in, in Western countries that would love to do that, too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's just completely taking away our freedom. Oh, you know, or yeah. just plain and simple. Right. right. Well, obviously in America we have constitutional freedoms, but it's not, it's, not, it's at a fundamental level it's it's transgressing boundaries of our humanity mm-hmm. that yeah. you know, we ought not to take lightly. Yeah, it's essentially placing our value on like what other people deem like right. valuable, you know, like right. it's not it's not like inherent value as a human being. It's right. like Whatever your score is, that's that's your right. worth and value. You and know? who who who, who and do you have to please? The government. Yeah. Who's your god? The government. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's China is a great example of it. Something that, you know, I don't like the communists. They, in China, the government presents itself as god. You, they would they would play what are essentially worship videos on TV regularly. And what were the while well, you were there? Oh, oh for sure. Yeah. But what were the but what were the worship videos about? It was worshiping the state. It was all these very dramatic and. And, and emotional music and it was all about the great state the the great communist party i mean that's the communist party is atheistic and believes that it can do a better job than any so-called god mm. and that's how they set themselves up that's what mao did back in the cultural revolution in the 60s and early 70s he set himself up as god and uh, yeah it's uh well, it's good stuff. It's interesting because that's been a, that's been like a predominant theme throughout their culture for many many years. You know, as like the emperor, that's, yep. was God, and he was the highest, you know, figure that they mm-hmm. all looked up to. And obviously, now it's more centered around the government, like you said. Right. But but, but you make a good point about the analogy. There is there is a truth there that there is some deeply embedded cultural ways of thinking that mm-hmm. are being reflected as well. For sure crazy um do you guys have any more questions about china or anything like that no um i kind of want to switch gears okay on to ccu ccu um i think we talked about this last year with steward but kind of like professors openness to like meet with students uh-huh. and like pour into their lives uh-huh. um and like uh, i want to let our audience know like you have tas that you pour into every single month and every single week that um like you bring us over to your house and we can see you interact with your family, interact as just a normal person instead of just a professor. Mm-hmm. I think that's what makes CCU so great mm. is because we are so personal with our professors that we can kind of be mentored by them mm. in a way. And I feel like being a TA of yours has been beneficial for me in that way, um, coming over for breakfast and stuff like that. And just see you interact as like a godly man in that area. Um, I just want to kind of like, What's your thoughts on that? Like, what makes CCU, like, why why is that so special to a student's 
like formation? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, you say, why is it so important? You know, I've, I've done online teaching for a long time. I was teaching, for instance, at Liberty University online before uh, I came to CCU when I was a PhD student. And I still do teach online classes for CCU as well. And that's fine and good. And I always have to remind myself when I'm interacting with students on those online settings, that a lot of them really get a great benefit from not just a degree. So there's value to it. But I would still say that Christian education in its most essential form is about relationship, face-to-face, life on life. Right? You can, you can learn, a, learn a trade or learn a skill or learn to do math and, you, and, and, it's, and it maybe could be done without that. But Christian education is not just a transfer of knowledge. It's about transformation, right? It's about formation and transformation. And that happens in relationship. It's not merely a, a download of data. So first of all, fundamentally, that's what I think Christian education should, should be. Now, in so many ways, I think CCU tries to be that with a very active discipleship program and a strong emphasis on community. And that's definitely in terms of how CCU presents itself to the world is sort of the CCU difference, right? We have this community and, you know, for good or for bad, right? But, I, think, I think for good. Okay. <laughs> I mean, we're not perfect, but, no, the, but still, the, the goal, yeah. the, the vision at CCU is this is more than just a place to get a degree or to learn some stuff. It's about community. It's about relationships. Now, people have different circumstances in life. Professors have different circumstances in life. But uh, as soon as I arrived here eight years ago, I began to have students over the house because I understand my teaching. I like to think of it as ministry. I might call it academic ministry, but it's ministry. Before I went to China, I was a youth pastor for four years, as I noted. Uh, when we were in China, we it was a lot of ministry with people, including we did a lot of college ministry with Chinese college students, a lot of discipleship and outreach, discipleship, so on and so forth with, with Chinese uh, uh, students. And, and then even when we were back and, and Louisville after uh, for my PhD, even then we were doing campus ministry at the University of Louisville, including with a lot of the international students that, that come from overseas, including a lot of Chinese students. So we've always had this emphasis on students, student ministry, uh, and, and, and ministry. And so it was just natural for me that that's the way I would continue to do what I was going to do. I mean, yeah, you could call me an academic. Yeah, I've studied a lot. I you know write journal articles and blah, blah, blah. It's all good. But it, for me, it's always been a, a ministry. It's always been about ministry and trying to uh, speak into students' lives and others' lives. And so it's always been a natural part of how we do it. I won't deny it asks more of you when you try to you know, have students over at your house. But we kind of stopped that mostly during COVID for a couple of years, in part because my mother-in-law and father-in-law live downstairs and are in not great health. And that was one reason. And yeah, so we just didn't do it for a couple of years. We did it a little bit with some of our theology classes, like our systematic theology, like you and Joel would come over, but it was much curtailed. Whereas before every single class had been invited over every semester. And then this school year, we got back to all of them again. It's plenty of work. Stevin came over for, for waffles, but I'm delicious, so happy. By the yeah, way. Yeah, delicious waffles. So good. They're good waffles. But I'm so glad we're back because it, it's almost like it was missing, I realized, in some sense for a couple of years. Because that's, that's really what gets me motivated. I mean, we're in systematic theology, say, Joel, and, you know, we get, you know, deep into the filioque clause or something. And it's important and it's good. You, but if that was just that stuff, 
yeah. of theology or of Christianity. It would be boring. It would be boring. It would be lifeless. It wouldn't be fruitful. Uh, and so it wouldn't be fruitful exactly. So there's a real sense in which I can't help but do it that way. Yeah. So I'm a good fit at CCU in that regard yeah, because no, I think sure. that's the CCU vision, rightly so. I think it's a Christian vision, as I said. I think it's what Christian education really has to be ultimately. And it's you know been my vision for a long time. Well, I think that's one of our three one of our like main reasons why we love CCU mm-hmm. is because of how close we are with all of our professors like Jacob is mm-hmm. and Stad and me just close with them. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, for sure. I think it's, it's a, an amazing aspect of, of being a CCU. I always feel like a class is more like full and, and like you said, fruitful when I'm able to kind of form a relationship with the professor that I have, you know, for whatever uh-huh. class it is. Um, it's it's like it makes the class more enjoyable and meaningful, but it also like puts more I don't know responsibility on my side too because mm-hmm. it's not just I'm not just sitting in a room right. listening to a guy talk and you know writing papers and stuff. It's like I'm you know friends with them or I have right. a relationship with them. Almost creates some account- extra yeah, accountability, yeah, which, which <laughs> I, I think is is cool, you know, because right. it, it um, or maybe even a healthy sense of oh I want to I want to live up to their expectations. Exactly, exactly. Um, which, which I think is, is awesome. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Cause you know, I have a lot of friends that went to state schools uh-huh. and, and, uh, especially bigger state schools like CSU or A&M or, mm-hmm. um, and those classrooms are like amphitheaters with 300 kids, you know, and you're just a number uh-huh. to your professor there. Um, and you know, he'll give a lecture and if you don't ask a question or whatever, if you don't intentionally make yourself known then you're just you don't exist really yeah, right you know so i think that is really cool about ccu is that we have that interpersonal connection and like in our class dr win like the discussion i love that uh-huh. that you incorporate that into class because it causes you to interact with other students for mm-hmm. one but it also causes you to think about the material and what you've read more deeply than mm-hmm. just reading words on a page and then right you know, in one year out the other type thing. So <laughs> I, I, I really appreciate that. It's been Good. super helpful. So, yeah. yeah. And, I, and I also think like I, as talking to like other people, I just had a friend stay last night who goes to the Coast Guard Academy. And although it's not as big. What kind of academy? Coast, oh, Coast, Coast, Coast Guard. Coast Guard. Okay. Yeah. Coast Guard Academy. And although it's not as, like it's about the same size, I guess. I don't know, actually. He, oh, the Coast Guard Academy is about the same size? Well, actually, I shouldn't say. He, he was saying it wasn't that, as much, like not that much bigger. Okay. But the classes are. And like talking to just friends and siblings and they're like, yeah, I went, yeah, my Western Civ or whatever equivalent to that had 150 people in it or 300 people. I'm like, I have not had a class with more than like 38 people in the class. And that was New Testament. And it's like, that's our biggest classroom that we can have. I think the capacity in that classroom is 40. Hmm. And I think that's what sets us apart. And that's why I really love education. Like, I don't, I don't really, I, I mean, I love Although I wish it was less work. I love like coming back to school. And I think a lot of people kind of dread going to college. Mm. At least I know some people who like, like, oh, I gotta go back to college. I'm like, I am going back to college. Like, this mm. is amazing. Mm. And I think um, it is kind of sad that I have to graduate early next year. But at the same time, I mean, it's for the benefit. But I'm going to miss it because that's like, it's mm. really beneficial. This has been really beneficial for my formation in my spiritual life and my relationship with God and just so my whole entire life. So yeah, it's been good. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. So, um, I guess 
kind of like to wrap this up, I wanted to ask one more question. Sure. Um, what was like a theologian or a couple theologians that kind of formed you? And like, I know you grew up Lutheran mm-hmm. um, and we're in the Lutheran church for a little bit. Um, like, what would you consider yourself right now? What kind of umbrella of theology would you oh, go under? Oh, that's interesting. Um, and like, who kind of, who has formed you into like the man and the theologian you are today? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, first I'll answer the question of, you know, where do I kind of fit? I would, I'm Baptistic in my, in my understanding of baptism. Um, I am largely reformed. In no my, infant baptism? No infant baptism, though I may be less dogmatic on the issue than I might have been 20 years ago. Not a huge deal? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> we could talk more, but I won't say. I won't, we should. We I, won't, should. I, won't, I won't go off on that. Uh, so I would fit in, in, in a Baptistic. I'm not in any. Well, I'm not a Baptist because we do a house church right now, yeah. <laughs> as I think you already know, Joel. But so we are doing our own house church thing. It's like we did in China with with another family, and uh, it's working well for our family right now. Uh, again, theologically, I'm I'm largely not not I'm not uh, I'm not dogmatic you know, down the line, but I'm largely reformed in my soteriology. And let's see, what else would I say there? But at the same time, very appreciative of church history and church tradition. I'm very appreciative of my Lutheran upbringing. Apart from from the baptism question, I probably would have found my way back there by now. But I'm not. So we'll, we'll see what the future what the future brings when it comes to that. And then let's see your second question. Part of it was... What theologian or oh, theologian has kind of influenced you? Well, certainly there's been plenty, including uh, older historical theologians, but what I'll pick are, are, are professors I had. And why don't I pick one from my college experience, studying scripture and theology, and then one from my master's and PhD uh, experience studying scripture. So probably uh, the biggest influence that I would point to in my life is a now... Um, now departed uh, Old Testament scholar named John Salehammer, who I had at Northwestern College, and just a huge influence on me. Uh, I mean, I'll say a little bit. In the summer of 95, I say I think I would say I became, I'd been a, a born-again believer for about two years at that point. So I'd been studying scripture uh, at Northwestern along with my, my communications major and asking a lot of questions. And when I came to faith, I... I, I didn't have a, you know, you had me for apologetics, Phil. I didn't have, it wasn't because I was had apologetic type questions that I, I wanted answers to and then got those answers and became a believer. That wasn't the case at all. It was more of my own existential crisis in life as a young college student. But after I became a Christian and began to grow and study scripture more systematically, I began to have some of those challenging questions that maybe apologetics might address, including especially the doctrine of scripture. And so much so, I went off in the summer of 1995 to study for a summer at Notre Dame. It was this, uh, it was called the Pew Younger Summer Summer Seminars, and it was for promising young evangelical students to give them a chance to study with some prominent evangelical scholars in the world of academy to help them move along the path to becoming maybe an academic someday. And I was really at a low point there spiritually. I I studied a lot of... uh, literary criticism, including the postmodernism and deconstructionism of the 20th century. And I was wrestling very deeply 
and was from a human standpoint, I look back at that time, I think it would have been very easy for me to turn away from Christ because of my questions and my doubts. In fact, Rachel and I had started dating earlier that year. And when I came back from Notre Dame and, and, and saw her for the first time and we were talking through things and, and she was wondering what was wrong with me. And very dramatically at one moment, I picked up the Bible and I said, this is my problem. <laughs> That's how really? it's very overdramatic. Wow. But so I was really wrestling with some, some deep questions there on the doctrine of scripture and everything that comes out of that in terms of, you know, the Bible and theology. And that next fall in God's beautiful providence, John Salhammer came to Northwestern as a new professor. And without going into extensive detail, he just uh, really understood my questions and had the deepest and most profound answers uh, about the Old Testament, especially that I had not heard before. And, and in so many ways, I would say my high view of Scripture now, including the Old Testament, which I'm teaching in this semester and just love it. And if you took my Old Testament, well, you took my Old Testament class. And I mentioned Salem in there, but very yeah. much the way yeah. I taught that class is influenced by him. And so huge influence, John Summer. I could say more, but I know we need to wrap it up. And then the other one I would say, I could pick others, but Salhammer is definitely, uh, you know, the top of the top of the influence peak for me because so crucial at that time of my life and has so influenced my whole approach to scripture since then. But I'll pick another one uh, at my master's and, and PhD, and that would be uh, Tom Schreiner, who's a, a well-known uh, New Testament scholar, prolific author, We've got his Romans commentary right over there. For instance, I and think I used that on my uh, one of your exegeticals. On my exegeticals, yeah. <laughs> Tom is a, a brilliant man, but also just lovely, gracious. He was one of the pastors at the church we became members of after Rachel and I became, you know, our first year at Southern. We were Lutherans, and then we came to Baptist convictions and joined a Baptist church. And he was one of the pastors there. In fact, he baptized Tom, baptized both of us. And so many ways, Tom was a big influence uh, on us and on me and the way he handles Scripture his balance, his humility, his pastoral spirit. So I'll pick those two, uh, John Salhammer and Tom Schreiner. Yeah. That's well, awesome. Yeah, that's yeah. great. We just want to say thank you um, for letting us thank come you. My pleasure. And thank you for all like the influence you've had on our lives too. Yeah, yeah and thank you for your that. time and just like, you know, I know it's, it's time out of your day that you could be doing anything. So thank you <laughs> for spending it with us. I'm glad to do it. It was fun. Yeah. Yeah. This is awesome. Yeah, I yeah. appreciate it. Uh, Well, we'll look forward to uh, filming another podcast soon. So thanks for listening.